last week, and uh, we're, we're going to spring off of the same verse. It's in your outline there, or if you want to turn, you can see it there in Matthew chapter 7. And of course, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is what's considered the great Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus laid down uh, all the principles uh, of, of the members of the kingdom, and of course, uh, the many things that go along with that. And one of the things that uh, you find in there is like this verse here was a warning that he gives. And I want you to see in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, where the Bible again says, beware of false what? Prophets, which come to you. Notice how they're dressed, sheep's clothing. You know, sheep are very gentle, easygoing animals, you know. And he says, they come to you just dressed in sheep clothing, but inwardly, that's, that's, that's the problem. It says here, inwardly, they are ravening wolves. Quite the difference from the look on the outside and what they really are on the inside. And so I've entitled uh, launching off from last week. Last week, I, we spent the, the evening talking about this matter of infiltration, about uh, how, how oftentimes the devil has a way to infiltrate. And of course, you see this. We, we talked about uh, Judas last week with, uh, as one of the, the apostles, one of the disciples of the Lord. We talked about, um, we talked about how that, uh, the, the, the wheat and the tares and how they, they, uh, the disciples said, Lord, do you want us to go in and weed out, get rid of the tares? And if you're not familiar with what it is, a tare is a counterfeit wheat. Uh, it's very hard for most people to distinguish the one from the other. And remember what Jesus said. He said, that he said let them alone. Let them grow up together. And uh, again, just like in, in the situation with Judas, uh, it was the will of God. It was the plan of God, as we heard last week, that uh, God allowed Judas to be there. And of course, it was talked about in the Old Testament. But again, we, we think about last week, we think about, and it's, this all centers around one thing, and that is the truth. So, you know, what the, de the devil is very good at counterfeiting, and the devil oftentimes doesn't look like the devil. He's trying to look and act like God. And uh, you find that what he does is he'll take error and he'll try to, to make it appear like it's the truth. And the Bible says here, we've got to beware of these false prophets. And uh, so I've entitled tonight's lesson, in the impact you know, that we can have in spite of the attacks of Satan, because the devil is attacking in our lives. Now, Jesus said these words in Matthew 24, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, listen to this, and shall show you great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, it's talking about saved people. It's talking about God's people. There are a lot of Christians that don't know their Bible. They don't know what they believe. They, they are, are very naive. They are not maturing and they're not discerning. And, and oftentimes we see, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I don't know where it came from, but I guess in my mind, I, I must have saw it somewhere, you always had this, you envisioned the devil was this guy in a red suit with a pitchfork, right? And that's not what the Bible teaches about the devil. Uh, Satan is crafty. And the Bible says here that, that he would, if it were possible, shall deceive the very elect. Listen to what John wrote in 1 John 4. Beloved, believe not every, listen to this, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are, are gone out into the world. So how do you, how, how can you tell me tonight, how do you try a spirit? Brother Flynn? From the word of God. We've got a measuring rod. We've got a rule book. So, you know, listen, You've got to, maybe you've been doing this, but you've got to get in the habit when you hear something, when you read something. Now, 
hopefully you're discerning enough, you have grown enough, and that's why sometimes people ask me about a certain book, and, and I will say things like this to them. I will say, now look, you need to understand that that person that wrote that book, there's a good chance that person is a Christian. But as a Christian, that person doesn't believe the doctrines of the Word of God the way the Bible teaches them. In other words, there are people that are saved, but they have some doctrinal error in their beliefs. And the problem is, is that if you, if you start eating from that book, you're going you're gonna to eventually get a bone in your throat. You ever eaten fish and got a bone? Okay. You've got to be aware of that. And, and so sometimes I will tell people, I'll say, now listen, when I was in Bible college, they had what they called textbooks. Well, those textbooks were books written by people. And so as a college, what they try to do, and by the way, I think a lot of colleges, or maybe I should quantify Bible colleges, will do this very thing, is when we would get those books, when you would purchase it from the bookstore on campus, the college had stamped on the inside of the cover. It would say, West Coast Baptist College does not necessarily agree with everything that is written in this book. Now, part of it was to protect them, but part of it was to help the reader to understand that there's going to be some things in here. How many of you know it's hard to find a good, solid book that doesn't have some error in it? It really is. Now, that doesn't mean you can't read books, and it doesn't mean you can't read articles, but you've got to be discerning because there are people out there. Look, what's the best-selling book of all time? The Bible. So think about how many different versions of the Bible there are. But if someone that either isn't saved or they're they're a babe or they're weak in the faith. They pick up a book and on the side of it, it says these words, the Holy Bible. Well, it's the Bible. So everything in it must be God's word. Are you with me? And so what happens is they, they believe everything that's in there. Well, again, the Bible says here that if it were possible that they should deceive the very elect. God says there are many false prophets that are gone into the world. They're out in this world. And we need to remember, listen, here's what we've got to remember. The words which have been spoken unto us. What words have been spoken? You know, I love how the Bible references what the apostles learned. Because later on in the New Testament, it's actually referred to as the apostles' doctrine. Well, where did they get that doctrine? They got it from Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ taught them. He gave them his word. And just like Brother Flynn answered a minute ago, when we see something, we hear something, and we're like, wait a minute, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound quite right. Now, that doesn't mean we have a critical spirit. That just means that we want to make sure that this is accurate with the word of God. And the Bible says that we can try the Spirit. So what is, what, what is the admonition here for us? And here it is, is that what we always need to do is go back to the Word, go back to the truth and not to some counterfeit. I don't know about you, I don't want a counterfeit book. I don't want counterfeit money. I want the real stuff. And when it comes to the Word of God, listen, the Bible's way more important than, than money in my pocket that I can spend because God's word is eternal. And I, I want to make sure that I have the truth. So when, when we were together last week, as we close, talking about this matter of infiltration, okay, we've, God's given us, he's given us his truth. Now, by the way, when you talk about the word of God, you talk about how God's given us his truth, don't forget what Jesus said in John 14. He says, I am the Way the truth. Jesus is the truth. And John in John 1 said Jesus is the word. So God gave us his son. God gave us his word. Well, listen, it's truth. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means God's word, the truth, never changes. 
What changes is what we think, what we hear, what people say, but we've got to be anchored to the truth. So last week when we closed, we were talking about this matter of infiltration, and so I want you to turn in your Bible, go over to the little book of Jude, and in the closing, I gave you some chapters, some verses last week about some of the warnings that Jude gives us in this little small book in the New Testament, right before the book of Revelation. And so tonight, we're going to look at, in the closing verses of the book of Jude, five directives that God gives to us that you and I, we need to study these, and we need to obey these directives. And as we place these, if I could use the word disciplines, into our daily lives, okay, in other words, not because pastor gave them to us on a Wednesday night, but because I see them right there in, in the Word of God, in the book of Jude. We need, as we place these in our daily lives, here's what's going to happen is, you and I are going to impact this world in spite of Satan's attacks. Because the truth, look, when Jesus, who was the Word, was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, what did he do? He, he shared truth with the devil. And what did the devil do when Jesus shared the truth with him? He went, bye-bye. You know? And, and that's what we need to understand is that God's word is quick and powerful. The truth is powerful, folks. <laughs> Listen, I, I, it's hard for me to, to, to put this into words, but when I stand in a, in a pulpit or a lectern and I open up the Word of God, it is not me, it is not my style, it's not my opinions, it's not my illustrations, but boy, when I see people walking aisles, it's not because of something I said, it's because God's Holy Spirit took the truth and he confronted that person with the truth and they realized whatever it was in their life, and they came forward because the truth set them free. And this is what we need to get in our lives is some things that we need to make sure that even though the devil's attacking, that we don't stop doing some things. So look at the first one tonight. Jude says in verse number 20, look at it. He says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves. So the first thing he tells us that we need to make sure, it's, this is a great directive, is we need to make sure that we don't stop building. That we don't stop building. Now, those who love the truth, and I believe that's who I'm talking to tonight, those of us that love the truth and those of us that hopefully will defend the truth are people that need to make sure that we are staying healthy. I said to Brother Brady today when I was visiting with him, and Brother Robert was there, I said, Brother Brady, I know you love your wife, but you're no use to her if you don't take care of yourself. We will not be any use to God if we don't stay healthy. Well, how do you stay healthy? It's not by pumping iron, it's by staying in the Word of God, building up ourselves. Look, folks, there's, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying going to the gym and, and doing things. I need to do more of that myself. But can I tell you that if we are going to, to be able to, to, to get the truth to those that have never heard, we've got to stay healthy. Listen to what Paul wrote to those in, in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. It's not talking about our strength and what we can do. He says, you've got to stay healthy. Well, how do you do that? In his word. This is no time for anorexic and bulimic Christians. Why? Because we are in an all-out war. It's a spiritual battle, folks. Every day. I guarantee you if, you, if you had the opportunity tonight, every one of you could tell me, Pastor, I faced this today. Pastor, this happened today. This person, you know. Listen, every one of us, every day we're facing things. Look what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3. He says, therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But notice the next verse. He says, but 
grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So he says, look, you have to understand that in your life, none of us have arrived. We must keep building. We must stay in the Word of God. We must let the truth be what supports us. I love what he says about the church. It's the pillar and ground of what? Of the truth. That's what the church is. Well, what is the church? Is it this building? No. It's the people of God. We, we need to understand how important it is to, have, to stay healthy, to be building up ourselves. I was talking about this a minute ago. Discernment. Listen to this. Discernment is something all of us need in our lives because we need to be able to distinguish between what is truth and what is error. And listen, you cannot distinguish between truth and error if you are not having a healthy diet from the Word of God. You know why? Because if you're, if you're dieting on the Word of God, then you know what this is. And when something else comes along that is not what is in this book, you're going to know that's not right. See, the, the longer you spend in the Word of God, the more familiar you come with it. Uh, I think about people a lot of times, my wife was in banking for years, and they would train them, they would teach them certain things. It, you know, some of you right now, you think about the job that you do. For the guy, you've been with Boeing for how long? 28 years. Do you think there's some things you know today that you didn't know the first week you were there? Oh, yeah. And that happens because he spends every day of the week doing that, learning that. Sometimes you get around people and, and, and you're just amazed at the stuff that comes out of their mouth and you're like, wow. Well, they've been doing it. They've been getting familiar with it. Listen, that's the way every Christian ought to be. Every Christian, every one of us ought to be able to, to, to sit down with somebody and have a, a, a discussion with them about the word of God, about the truth. How can we help them if we're not building ourselves? We have nothing to offer them if we haven't spent time giving, having a healthy diet. But see, a lot of Christians today, instead of being strong and healthy, and again, I'm not talking our own strength. I'm talking about being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. But oftentimes, we're just weak and anemic. Look at Hebrews 5.14. Strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I don't answer this, but I've known some Christians that have been saved a long time and they're still sucking on the bottle. You know what I'm talking about? A baby. You're like, hey, listen, wouldn't you like a piece of meat? No, I like the bottle. God, look, can you imagine if your children, Brother Gusslet, your, your son, instead of, hey, Dad, I want a hamburger, hey, I want a bottle of milk, you, you'd think something's wrong with your boy, wouldn't you? And, and there is something unnatural, unspiritual about a Christian that gets saved that wants to just keep sucking on the bottle. It's time to move on to meteor things. You know, Sunday night, we're studying the book of Romans. And I, I, I watch people's faces when I'm teaching because I know it's a strong doctrinal book. But guess what? We need it. We need that to help us to be stronger, to build up ourselves so that we can be used. We can help people that, that don't know the truth or those that are being deceived. Maturity is only developed when you saturate your life with the truth. That's what's going to help you to grow up is to be saturating yourself. Jesus said in John 8, 31, listen to what he said to the Jews that believed on him. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. He says, you gotta, you gotta keep your nose in the book. You gotta keep learning the things that I have shared with you. And can I tell you, when you think about, well, how's that possible? Jesus isn't here today. Here's how it's possible. Because God's method, God's plan, was that he provided the church to be the teacher of the truth. Yeah, that's, that's what the church is. I, I, there's, this, there's this gentleman that he's called a couple times, and I was hoping he'd be here tonight, but I'm looking around, I don't see him, and uh, maybe he'll come Sunday, but he's called, he's called three times. 
and, and he's, he's talked to Brother Chris twice, he's talked to my wife one time, and, and every time he calls, he talks about the church he's been going to, and he's talking about how the church is changing, and he just keeps calling, asking all these questions, and Chris said, well, you know, we have a, he, he talks to him, shares things with him, he, he directs him to our website, and the guy says, I've been there, I've been listening to messages on your website. Well, it doesn't take you long to realize that what we're doing here is we're just teaching the Bible. We're just sharing the truth with people because, folks, listen, there's nothing better to give to people than the truth of the Word of God. And so God provided the church. Look what it says in Ephesians. I love these verses. Ephesians 4, follow along with me here. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what's the goal of the Christian life? It's not to be like the person next to you. It's not to be like your spouse. It's not for you to be like pastor. It's for us to be like Jesus. He says, until we come to the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we, look at this, that we henceforth, see, we've been being tossed around. He says, as we're in the book, as we're getting built up by the truth, the word of God, here's what he says, that we henceforth, from this point on, we, we be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Why? Because we've been on Google. Because we've been reading the wrong Bible version. Because we've been listening to somebody that is steeped in Calvinism. He says, we don't have to be that way. He says here, another way is by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Satan is a roaring lion, doesn't it? Lying in wait to do what? Not to help you, not to give you the truth, but to deceive you. He says, but speaking the truth, well, how are we supposed to do it, Baptists? Speak the truth in, in love. Hey, what good's the truth if you can't, if it's not palatable, if somebody doesn't say, hey, listen, he told me the truth, but I can genuinely tell that he loves me. He loves me because that's why he told that to me. I have to believe when Jesus shared truth with people that, that they could see that he loved them. And the Bible says we, we must speak the truth in love and that we may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Hey folks, aren't you getting it tonight? The whole reason that when you think about the truth is, is that it should help to build us up. Now, not to make us something, not so that we can be puffed up, not so that we can say, I have all this knowledge, but that we can be a help to those that don't know the truth or those that are being deceived by the truth. Both Lynn? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I'm trying to, um, is there in a, in a particular area or are you just kind of wanting me to give them an overall what is the difference type? I would say if I, if I answered it uh, uh, the simplest way tonight, here's what I would say is, is that when it comes to Bible and Bible version, this has always been my approach, and that is you should always consider the source. Where does it come from? So, you know, again, I'll make this statement. It may sound, may sound weird to some of you, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Every Bible version, as far as I know, every Bible version contains some truth. Because that's the work of the devil, is he mixes truth with error. So, but the problem is, is that 
people who do not know what error is or really don't really know what the truth is. They don't see the mixture. So what, what happened was, and you, I hope you're where I am on this statement, is you have to believe this, that God did give his word. And when God gave his word, he gave it without error and he gave it without omission. In other words, it's absolute. There's nothing wrong with the word of God. And God has promised, no matter what Bible version a person holds to, God has promised to preserve or to keep his word to all generations. Now, what that tells me is somewhere today there is an accurate version of God's Word. Now, the reason I hold to the King James Bible, and this church has since it was started, and you may be here tonight, you may not be a King James version of the Bible, guess what? I love you. I didn't, somebody didn't hit me over the head and say, you got to be a King James or you can't go to heaven. They didn't say that to me. I arrived where I am from studying the Word of God. And, you know, this next statement I'll say, I, 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 I shudder to say it, but I don't really know how else to get around it. You, you do not need to know the, the original Bible languages to know the Word of God. The Old Testament, God gave it in what language? Originally, in the Hebrew, the Masoretic text, they call it. And then you have the New Testament, which was given originally by God in what known language at that time? Greek. And it was specifically called the Koine Greek. Now, there are some parts, not much, but there are some parts that were Aramaic, which was the common language in Palestine at the time of Christ. So, we don't speak Hebrew, and we don't speak Greek. Now, there are Greeks today that live in Greece. They still speak Greek. It's, it's a modern Greek. It's not Koine Greek. I, I love what God did because you think about it, all of the Word of God is important. But Jesus came and established something in the New Testament that you didn't find in the Old Testament, which is called the what? The church. There are 13 books in the New Testament of our Bible that are what we refer to as the church epistles. They basically give us much of what we practice as a New Testament church. And the neat thing about the language that God used, God used, God could have picked, for those of you that are in here, God could have picked Spanish, but he didn't. The Koine Greek predated English, predated Spanish, predated the Latin, because God chose that language. He could have chose any language. But here's the awesome thing about it is, God knew that that language was going to become a dead language. And some of you don't get it. God said, my word is forever settled. You see, it can't be changed. English is one of the most confusing languages in the world. You know why? Because it constantly changes. Back in the 20s and 30s, the word gay meant something totally different than it means now. So here's the thing is, is you say, well, then pastor, how can we know if we don't know those languages? Because God's given you something which is the greatest treasure that you could ever have to help you to know the Word of God. Anybody know what that is? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy, Jesus said He will guide you into all truth. So, going back to that, again, I hope you listen to my little speech there about the languages. But having studied the languages, what happened was, is that and again, I, I believe that this is the work of the devil because God is not the author of confusion. However, the devil loves confusion. And so anytime he can create chaos or division, discord, 
you know, it just weakens the church. It weakens the cause of Christ. So here's what happened is that over time, and I don't, I don't have time to get into all of it, but what happened is, is that you have the New Testament as God gave it in its entirety. Everything from the first words in the book of Matthew all the way through the book of Revelation, which was the last book that God gave by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to John. And so you have all of those books that we call our New Testament. But over time and years, what happened is, is that there were some errors made. You have to understand this was in a day, we are spoiled now with electronic age. But listen, when God's word was originally given, the printing press wasn't even developed. How did you get a copy of the word of God? Anybody know? Somebody had to write it out. You ever made a mistake while you're writing something? We all have. Now, sometimes it's a mistake we make without realizing we made it. Other times it's a willful mistake. And over the course of time, what happened was you had got the text with God's words that were given in its entirety. And then you had another text that emerged that had many differences in it, all kinds of differences. Some were, as, were basically taking the name God and making it a personal pronoun, he. Now, I personally believe that the King James translators did a very accurate job. And, and the reason I believe this is because not only have I studied it, but in my lifetime, in 35 years of being a Christian, I have seen God's hand of blessing on this book. To me, that tells me something. God doesn't bless something unless it is what it should be, which is his word. So here's what happened is, is that these two versions, these two texts, and you know, again, if you want to have some fun, you, you probably, like most people, you'd look at it and you would say this statement, it all looks Greek to me. But I have both texts in my office. I have studied both of them. I've looked at the discrepancies. And, you know, it's a neat thing when you look at the King James Bible in the New Testament. Have you ever noticed words in your Bible that are italicized? You ever thought about why they're italicized? Some of you that are in here that speak Spanish, maybe some other languages. If I wanted to alter the Word of God, would I italicize it to draw attention to what I was altering? No way. I wouldn't want to draw people's attention to it because, you know, I'm changing it. Now, the thing is, they didn't change it. Some of you that know other languages, you know this is true. There are some things in one language that there's no word for or there's no way to easily convey that. I get tickled sometimes. I give stuff to Nazarel for Sunday and, and uh, the other day I said, now I'm going to do an illustration with a Twinkie. And she goes, Twinkie. She's trying to think, what's the Spanish word? What is it? <laughs> what was the one I had that one day? Was it lawnmower or lawnmower? And she's back there like, pastor, don't do that to me. Because what happens is, is that when you go from one language to the other, sometimes the two languages don't perfectly correlate one with the other or watch this sometimes as they translate the meaning was there it was understood now i'm not going to try to give you a deep english lesson tonight but do any of you remember english grammar where there was no subject in a sentence where did you get your subject from it was it was understood and so a lot of times, if you diagrammed or whatever, you would put it in parentheses. In other words, it was there, you understood it was there, but there was no word there. Everybody get me? So here's what happens is when you look at some of these words that, listen, God gave, you have to understand with the language, for instance, verbs have person. So when you, if you know if you know the, the stem of the word God gave, 
and you look at the endings, they're called personal endings. So if I look at a, a verb and there's no subject there, I can look at that verb and I can tell by that ending if it's first person, second person, or third person singular, or first person, second person, third person plural. And so when you look at that now, when you look at nouns, nouns had what they call gender. Well, what do you start to think of when you hear gender? Huh? Male, female. But the language that God chose, when you use the word gender in that Greek language, it has nothing to do with sex. It's how, it's how God, that language, categorized their nouns. And by the way, they don't just have male gender nouns, they have feminine nouns, and they have neuter nouns. You'd be surprised to find out that God, theos, is a masculine noun. The son, weos, is a masculine noun, but the Holy Spirit is a neuter noun. Say, you mean the Holy Spirit is not a man, it's a woman, or maybe it's an it? No, it has nothing to do with gender. It has nothing to do with sex. It's the way they're categorized. So like in your Bible, here's an illustration. Turn in your Bible and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. But I told you there's no easy answer for this. James, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I've, I've, over the years, I've thought about, if anybody was interested, I thought about maybe teaching a Greek class, but I don't know if anybody would be interested in it or not. So, James chapter number one, I'll give you, I'll give you an illustration here. Uh, let's see here. Okay, uh, let's see here. Rogan, read, read verse number four out loud, roll out. So he just read in your Bible where it says, let patience have, what's the next word? Her. Is that word italicized? Why is it italicized? Huh? Yes. The, 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 the more correct way to say is, is that it's understood. Now, the thing is, though, is what is the, what is the her referring to? Can you, can you tell me in that, in that verse? Patience. And what kind of word, what part of speech would patience be? It's a what? It's a noun, and you just said it. It's a feminine noun because God made it a feminine noun. Do you know that not only is the Holy Spirit a, a uh, the Holy Spirit is a neuter noun, all the fruits of the Spirit are, are feminine. Galatians 5, 22, 23. They're all feminine, every last one of them. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering. They're all feminine nouns. So when they translated the King James Bible, the translators, they actually did such an accurate job that there was no word there, as Rogan was referring to. So what they did was they highlighted, they, they italicized the word because it was understood. And the reason they used her is because it is so accurate that it refers back to the noun patience and patience god categorized it as a feminine noun has nothing to do with patience being a woman it's just that it was that's that was the gender the the classification of that particular noun and 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 guess what you know what happens is when you study nouns and, and some of you how many of you like grammar Anybody like diagramming? I was a sicko when it came to diagramming, when it came to the Greek language, when I was teaching at the college, the fourth class, they were sitting in my fourth class, a language they didn't even know, I had them diagramming in the fourth class. Oh, they loved me. You know why I did that though? Is because you could look at those, see, verbs have personal endings, Nouns have case endings. So you know what that means? If you know the endings, by the way, those of you who know the Spanish, 
some of this ought to be ringing right now because Spanish is very similar. It's set up very similar to the way the Greek was. I've talked to a lot of English teachers who said, you know what, if you know, if you know uh, the Greek, if you can understand the structure of the Greek that God used, you would understand English and Spanish better. And I've had English teachers tell me that. So if you look at nouns, here's what you find is they have case endings. Well, what kind of case are you talking about? Well, by looking at the end of it, guess what you can tell? You can tell if it's being used as the subject. You can tell if it's being used as the direct object. You can tell if it's being used as an indirect object. You can tell if it's being used as the object of the preposition. All of that because you look. See, it, this language that God used is so precise. And you cannot translate the Bible accurately. Here's the key. You need three things. You need an understanding of the language that God gave it in. You need an understanding of the language you're translating it into. And you need the Holy Spirit of God. And folks, it's not an easy undertaking. You ought to be thankful that you have a copy, an accurate copy of God's Word. It is, this is an amazing book. The, 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 the accurate text is called the Textus Receptus, or the Received Text, is what, is what they refer to it as. That's, it's commonly referred to as the Westcott Hort text. Is, and Westcott, anybody ever heard those names? A couple of you have. Westcott and Hort were two critical thinkers. They were, they were not looking for the truth. They were actually looking for a way that they could come up with a, what they considered to be a better version of the Word of God. And, and if you, you could check this out yourself. I can't throw them all out there. The vast majority, I've lost track of how many different versions of the Bible there are. The vast majority of the new modern Bibles, that would be the, the NIV, the New Living Bible, the New World Translation, I've lost track of how many there are. Those Bibles all come, remember they've got to come from a source. The vast majority of all the new Bibles come from the Westcott Hort strain instead of from the received text. The King James honestly almost stands alone from the Texas Receptus. And, and again, I, I could take the time. Here, here's, a, here's an example. I could show this to you if you want to come in my office sometime. It may not thrill you anyway. My daughter's like, Dad, please don't share anymore. But I'll give you this and I'll be done. In, 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 do you remember the story in Acts chapter 8 when Philip was, he, he was holding a revival meeting and the Holy Spirit led him to, to go and there was a man that was coming away from Jerusalem and he had a copy of the book of Isaiah and, and the Holy Spirit redirected him away from a revival meeting to meet this one individual. By the way, this man, this eunuch, Many believe that he went, because remember, he was the Ethiopian eunuch, which is where Josh Lovegrove and his wife are right now. So many believe after, after Philip led him to Christ, that's where he went with the truth. And by the way, you got enough in the book of Isaiah that you can lead many people to Christ with just the book of Isaiah. So, so here's the thing is, Philip, the Bible says, he, he joined himself to this man. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? Understandest what thou readest? And the man says, how can I except some man should guide me? That's where we come in. You got to know your Bible. Got to know the truth. Imagine what would have happened if Philip would have shared, if he would have deceived him, if he would have gave him a lie. He would have taken those lies to Ethiopia and people wouldn't have got saved. But he said, the Bible says, that he began at the same scripture. You know what that meant? Philip knew his Bible. Philip, Philip didn't know what the guy had when he went to there, and Philip looked over and he goes, oh, you're reading from Isaiah, chapter 53. That's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible right there. And the Bible says he started at that same place, and he preached unto him Jesus. That's what Paul did when he got saved. He preached Christ. So here's what happens. 
the guy gets saved. And he says to Philip, he says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, where in the world did he get that from? Because most people think that it's all about baptism. And he says to him, here's, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And it, t- turn in your Bibles there in Acts 8. You got to see the verse. You got to see the verse. It's good. It's good. Yeah, 836. Robert, read that verse. So he he says in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and he began the same scripture, and he preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, here's the verse, verse 37. Let's read it together. What did Philip say to him? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, What was Philip asking him to do? Profess Christ, believe in his heart. Believe what about Jesus? That he was the Son of God, right? So he says, if you believe, well, how do people get saved? By faith. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, died for their sins. And so Philip says, look, there's all kinds of water around here, buddy. But none of that water is going to do anything. That, I've said it here. People go in the baptistry, you know what happens to them? They get wet. Because there's no saving value in that water. If you notice, we come in, when I was a kid growing up, Brother Flynn did this, some of you probably did the same thing, go into a Catholic church, they got a little thing on the wall, it's got holy water in it that they got out of the tap somewhere. And you go up there and you put your finger on it and you make the sign of a cross on your head. Folks, that does nothing for someone. So here's, here's what he says to him in verse 37. He says, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then go back to what he says in the, in the middle of the verse, thou mayest. In other words, if you, if you truly are saved, then the next step in your life is to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. So look at the next verse. He, he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, you know what you find in the Westcott Hort New Testament, Greek New Testament, you know what you find in most modern Bibles? When you come to this passage, verse, you, you check it out. Here's what it, here's what it is. You're reading in this passage. You come to verse 35, it's there. You come to verse 36, it's there. You come to verse 37, it's not there. It's gone. The whole verse is missing. So look at your Bible again. Read verse 36 to yourself as I read these. Look at this. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Skip verse 37. Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and he went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now what? look here. When you take verse 37 out, what happens? Jesus is out of the way. Baptism saves. It's called baptismal regeneration how many churches and not just the catholic church teach that if you're baptized you're going to heaven now that's one of many errors that are in these modern bibles and people do not have a clue now i'm going to tell you something this is just my wicked thinking here but if i was reading a bible and I got to verse number 36, and then I got to verse 37 and it was gone, if I was going to come up, if I was going to publish one of these Bibles, I would change verse verse 38 to verse 37 so that somebody wouldn't say, hey, you left something out. I mean, they literally left the numbers the same. And here's what you'll find if if you know somebody with one of these Bibles, at the bottom of that page or somewhere in the margin, here's what it'll say. Some late manuscripts. Now, you know what that means? They're saying somebody added that. Well, listen, God either gave his word or he didn't. You see, it's not up to us to add to or to take away from. 
So that's why I'm saying you have to be careful because if, if, we're, if we're having a healthy, steady diet of the Word of God, it'll help us to be discerning so that when we come to stuff like that, or watch this, you might be okay with it, you might understand it, but you might have a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker that, that now listen, it's not so that you've been here on Wednesday night and I shared some of the stuff with you that you sit down and you try to talk big in front of them. No, no, no. The whole idea is that humbly, in love, you speak the truth to them, you show them the error that's there. Well, how do you show them error? By showing them the truth. See, you're not pointing out, I don't go around shooting Catholics down. You know what I say to most Catholics? Do you believe the Bible's the Word of God? And they'll say to me, well, sure I do. And I'll say, okay, well, let me show you some verses from the Bible. Then when they don't agree with them, here's what happens is, I'll say to them, now, wait a minute, didn't you say that you believe the Bible's the Word of God? Well, and then they're like staring at me. See, then, then it's God by His Spirit showing them that they're, they're not seeing it the way God gave it, all right? So we didn't get very far, but I, I don't know what we did tonight, but hopefully you, hopefully you got something out of it, all right? Well, let's pray, and uh, we'll pick it up again next week, and, uh, you know, is this, is this okay, or should we move on to something else? <laughs> we almost diagrammed tonight, all right? <laughs> all right, let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the Word of God, truly a miraculous book, and I pray that you'd bless Lord, in the days ahead as we just try to be grounded in the truth, thank you again for giving it to us. And Lord, I pray that we would have all confidence because we know that we have your word, not to the point that we would be puffed up, but again, what my mind thinks is this, that we need to speak the truth in love. People need to see a genuineness about us because we have what you gave to us. And it's what they need to set them free. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.